Hello, and welcome back to Unwanted Things. My name is Cameron Baker. I know you are more accustomed to hearing the reader at this point in the show, but we've had some creative differences, and I've decided it's best we went our separate ways. We want to thank him for his time and efforts, but I will be taking on his normal duties permanently. Now, on with the show. This episode is called Love and Wanderlust by me, Cameron Baker. Do enjoy. My name is James Miller, and I love being a teacher. I have had a lot of jobs in the past, but this one, this one fits me perfectly. I have always had a gift for public speaking, and I am a bit of an academic. So when the opportunity to teach social studies at Columbia City High School arose, I quickly ceased it. Go Eagles! It might be a city in name, but Columbia City is a rural community with a population of less than 10,000 people, which was also quite perfect for me. I have always been a bit of a wanderer. While I am no stranger to the fast pace and noise of larger cities, in my old age I find myself much more at home here, in a quiet Midwestern town. Last year, the biggest news story to come out of this town was at the 4-H festival, when Mark Trier accused Trent Graves of sandbagging in the derby. Or maybe it was when one of the sheep got loose. No matter. But to be fair, Trent knew the rules, and it did seem an awful lot like he was avoiding contact. Some people might find that life boring, but I have come to love it. I tend to not be my best self when the temptations of a vibrant nightlife are present. So, here I get to focus on my work. Putting together fun and engaging, but educational lessons for my 10th graders. It's for the best. I have even taken on some new responsibilities with the students. And I couldn't be more excited. For the first time, Columbia City High School is going to compete in the National History Bowl, and I have been asked to coach the team. The qualifiers take place in Fort Wayne, a larger city roughly 20 miles away, and even though we only have a few months to prepare, the students have been performing admirably. A tribute not only to their own hard work, but their excellent teacher as well. I am so glad I found this place. I have spent many years on this earth I have been many places and experimented with many occupations. But I have never been anywhere or done anything so fulfilling. This life is truly perfect for me. I haven't even mentioned the best part. Samantha. Samantha Martin is a wonderful human that I have grown quite fond of. And, in a turn of luck, She is quite fond of me as well. 
She is in her late twenties, and despite her best efforts to discover my age, so far I have been able to keep our age gap a secret. My secret. If we just get along so well, I would hate to see something so silly as our number of rotations around the sun to come between us. She is the school librarian, a job I am almost envious of. To be surrounded by all that knowledge, to touch history, inaccurate as some of it may be. Can you believe that people actually think the Whitechapel murders of 1888 were committed by a male? Laughable. The clues are all there. And while I suppose I understand how law enforcement officers of the 1800s failed to put it all together, the fact that these supposed historians of this modern age continue to print such hogwash is nearly enough to make me grab a pen and make the necessary corrections in these supposed history books myself. But it is not my place. No, I have my own life to attend to. Besides, some mysteries are better left unsolved, and without these historical inaccuracies, I would not have had the pleasure of watching a few of my favorite Hollywood films. Have to take the good with the bad, I suppose. Speaking of bad, allow me to introduce Harold Bevel. Mr. Bevel is a man in his late thirties. Not altogether bad-looking, but he's no James Dean, either. It doesn't help that his hairstyle constantly mimics whatever our students are into at the time, and his clothes are clearly cheap knockoffs of popular brands. I have no problem with cheap or non-flashy clothing, but what I don't like is when people try to pretend they are something they're not. Ironic, I suppose, but it is what it is, and I haven't even got to the worst part. Despite knowing that Samantha and I are involved, despite her apparent lack of interest, despite the fact that he looks like a flea-market version of Ryan Gosling trying to fit in as a high school student, despite the fact that his discount store cologne makes me feel nauseous every time I catch a whiff of its scent, he insists on flirting with Samantha. His classroom is closer to hers, and often in between classes I will go speak with her. A fact he well knows. He will walk over with his fake practice smile and glasses I'm not even sure are prescription and find some backhanded compliment to give me. I hate him. But I'm pretty sure he hates me. As you might be aware, teachers are not supposed to fraternize with one another. A silly but understandable rule. Humans tend to handle breakups poorly, and you can't have any sort of feud happening in front of the students. Mr. Bevel is acutely aware of this, as he is that we are breaking said rule. Now, this is not totally uncommon, fraternizing among teachers. The problem is that Mr. Bevel would gladly use this information to potentially take my two favorite things in this world, my job and Samantha. This simply cannot happen. And that is why I've decided to kill him. Tonight. 
After school, I met with Samantha in the parking lot. We talked, maintaining our distance, of course. Even though most were probably aware, even the students had rumors. But only rumors. And nothing to gain by speaking it aloud. I told her I had a lot of paperwork to catch up on, but I couldn't wait to spend tomorrow evening with her. Which was not entirely a lie. But what I didn't say, after we lightly touched hands and went our separate ways, I was going to get in my car, drive to Harold's house, and murder him where he stood. It wasn't difficult. Most people in this town know where each other live, so I made one small revision, which was to leave my car at home, along with my cell phone on the counter, so it could not be tracked, and started to walk to his house. It gets dark around 5 p.m., so it was nearly dark when I arrived. He was surprised to see me, as you can imagine, but he foolishly invited me in. I suppose he thought I was going to beg him to leave her alone, to simply let me have her, please keep his charming, younger body away. I'll do anything. But I didn't. The moment he closed the door behind him, I attacked. I am much stronger and much faster than he expected, and he put up a little fight. I slammed his head through a glass end table and kicked him in the stomach as soon as he fell. He looked at me, surprised, scared, as he should have been. It's not often anyone gets to see the real me, but I allowed him this one last pleasure. The police would not mistake this for a robbery. This was cold-blooded murder, and I enjoyed every second. They will eventually find out who it was, but that won't matter to me. This was worth every second. When I was finished, I collected myself and enjoyed the walk home in the dark. I had been careful not to sully my clothes, and... Even then, the walk from his house to mine had very few homes between it, so I had very little chance of being seen. The job was done, and now I can go back to enjoying my life. The next day is painful. I dredge through every class. My thoughts are utterly consumed with Samantha. Even as I sit here in my classroom, where I used to be so happy, I find myself assigning busy work to the students so I can stare at the clock and count the seconds until I get to see her tonight. So many months of careful planning, and now even murder. And tonight was the night. I know it. I was finally going to be with her. I couldn't go another day. The bell rang, and... We again met in the parking lot, this time our hands lingering a moment longer as we said goodbye. I rushed home to make the final preparations. The doorbell rang as I was fluffing the pillows on the couch, and my heart raced with excitement. I placed the pillow down and hurried to the door, but took one last look over the place to make sure it was perfect. The still quart bottle of wine sat on the coffee table, accompanied by two glasses. The cushions and pillows fluffed in place appropriately. The television was on and prepared to play our favorite program. Yes, this night would be perfect.
I prepared my best smile and swung the door open, and there she stood, reciprocating with the prepared smile of her own. Samantha. I stood in the door in my Columbia City Eagles t-shirt and basketball shorts. She stood on the porch with a jacket over a long t-shirt she used as a nightgown and leggings. Her brown hair pulled back in a ponytail. She was perfect. She waved excitedly and somewhat nervously. We shared a laugh and I invited her in. Our relationship had yet to reach physical intimacy, but we are past the point of dressing up or being overly concerned with our physical appearance, and I think I can speak for the two of us when I say I am glad that is over. Instead of painstakingly picking the proper outfit and staring into the mirror, making sure our hair was styled just right. Now our Friday night dates consist of drinking wine and watching our favorite show together on my couch and our most comfortable clothes. She pushed play. And the latest episode of our current show began. And while I think the dragons are a bit munch, I love to see her happy. So I couldn't be happier. The show labors on, but my thoughts are again concerned only with the woman in my arms. Dragons breathe fire, and nefarious queens have innocent men put to death, and we'll exchange shocked glances despite the fact that I saw it coming episodes ago, but my mind can only think of her, Samantha, and how I want to be with her. Forever. The credits roll, and we discuss what happened and where we think it will lead as I pour the last of the bottle into the glasses and hand it to her. She is sitting in the corner of the couch, with a pillow between her crossed legs as she takes a sip. She notices my staring, and playfully asks what I was staring at. This was it. I sat my glass down and told her I had something I wanted to show her, and offered her my hand, and offered her my hand. She smiled coyly, before setting down her glass and accepting my hand, and I led her down the hallway into my bedroom. Originally, I planned on waiting, spending as much time with her and getting to know her as well as possible, but I simply couldn't wait anymore. I had to have her. We stood at the front of my bed and shared a soft kiss, but before things could go any further, I told her I really had something I wanted her to see first, and led her to my closet. Oh, Mr. Miller, she said, in a seductive tone. What secrets are you hiding in here? I stood behind her, with one hand on her hip as she slid open the door to the large closet. But I could see her face in the mirror on the back of the closet. Her body went rigid with fear as she flicked on the light. Her eyes widened and tears began to form. She stood, frozen, hands still on the light switch, as my free hand covered her now open, ready to scream mouth with a chloroform-soaked rag. Beautiful as she is, my affection for her has never been sexual. So, when I carried her to the basement and stripped her of her clothes, folding them and placing them to the side, know that it was completely professional. I am no pervert. I placed her face down on a table I found when I had moved in, and began administering the sedative and the paralytic. 
a helpful but not altogether necessary part of the process. In the old days, before the miracles of modern medicine, I would have to drug my victims, then tie them down, and they would routinely wake up in the middle of the procedure, a ghastly experience, I would think. I may not be human, but I am not a complete monster. I do love Samantha, and I do not want to see her harmed. I only showed her my collection of skins so that, at least for a moment, she could have a brief understanding of what was going to happen, of what I am. Not to hurt her. I take no joy in seeing my victims in pain, except for Mr. Bevel. I care deeply for them, but I want them to stay with me forever. And to do that, they have to die. I start with an incision down the spine starting from the nape of the neck down to the small of her back. I then remove all the organs and bones and painstakingly separate her skin from the muscle tissues, a very messy process that some unfortunate soul will have to clean up in the future. Perhaps I'll make an anonymous call so they can get here before the stench is unbearable. When I'm finished, I head to the shower to clean the blood and guts and skin from beneath my fingernails, then return to the basement. At this point, my mouth is nearly salivating as I look over my prize. I can wait no longer. So, I take my hands and reach behind my head to the nape of my neck, opening the partially healed incision and begin to pull myself out of the husk of James Miller, the high school teacher. My glistening, paper-white skin exposed to the dim light of this basement for only the second time. The first time being the night I skinned James and left the form of Philip Abernathy, the mechanic. The rush of fixing things with my hands had faded much quicker than I expected, and the idea of helping others with my mind was much more appealing. But now, as my pale, gaunt form stepped from the skin suit that was James Miller, as I had done with countless others, I was consumed with the idea of revolution of rallies, flyers, buttons, and voting booths. I wanted to help women realize their full potential, and I would use Samantha to do it. You know, this country has never had a female president. I'm going to do everything in my power to empower women. <laughs> Isn't that a funny thought? My natural form is much larger than her body, it's larger than most humans, honestly. But same as it had all the times before, my body will change to the shape it needs to be. As my large, taloned feet slide into her skin, they take the size and shape of hers, a mere size 7 shoe. My large arms and hands slide into their new skin, then lidless eyes and lipless mouth into their new face. When I finish adjusting everything to look proper, I got dressed, then fetched my suitcase. I carefully folded the skin of James Miller and placed it in the bottom of the suitcase, kissing my middle and pointer fingers, then placing them on his lips. I will miss him, and his students, although I'm sure they'll do fine without him. Supposing that the news of his disappearance doesn't shake them too much, and of course the fact that they will eventually tie his disappearance to the death of Mr. Bevel. 
Oh, well. These are not my concern. Perhaps I'll even attend the National History Bowl and cheer them on. After that, I headed back upstairs, fetching the rest of the skins that I have kept all this time. I don't keep them all, mind you. Just my favorites. I do like to move, and I rarely stay in one place for too long, so keeping all of them would have been impossible. I give the small house I had called home one last look over. Then I begin to find my way to Samantha's home. My home. Suitcase in tow. I have had many jobs, and I have lived in many places. But I think I'm going to love it here. My name is Samantha Martin, and I love being a librarian. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Unwanted Things, your new favorite horror podcast. I hope you enjoyed the new host. I promise to do the best of my ability at filling in for the reader. Please make sure to follow us on your favorite social media platform at Unwanted Things Pod. And be sure to tune in the next episode of Unwanted Things.